So we are in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 9 through 20. John's vision of the glorified Jesus, if you would, stand for reading of God's word. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in the book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white as wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars out of his mouth, when a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. This is the word of God. Please be seated. What John is seeing here now is not the Sunday school Jesus. This is not the Jesus that he was familiar with. This is the glorified Jesus. By now you know that the theme of this book of Revelation is that Jesus is coming. Behold, he is coming. This book was written in 96 AD, around 2,000 years ago. And it was written to tell us what is coming in the future, that we would be aware, that we would be alert to the changes that are coming in our world, not to be deceived. Last week we learned that in the tumult of life, we called them peace stealers and tumult creators, that God has given us something very special. He's given us his grace is unmerited favor, and he's given us his peace that passes all understanding. That we can actually live on this side with the grace and the peace of God and successfully navigate through these troubled waters called planet Earth. But we have to appropriate his peace. We have to receive it. We have to walk in it. The closer we are to our God, the better we will be able to walk in his peace and in his grace. Remember, Jesus gave us something special. When he left this earth, he prayed the Father, and the Father released the Holy Spirit, the Paracletos, the Comforter, the one who is alongside of us, our Encourager, our Strengthener. The Paracletos is the one that allows us to stand through all this stuff that we call life, all the tumult that comes into it. Remember, we had like the bull in the blizzard. We had the picture the last few weeks. I didn't want to bore you with another picture of the bull in the blizzard, but I was tempted because I love that guy just standing there, immovable, immovable. The psalmist wrote this in Psalm 119.165, Great peace have those who love your law or love your word, and nothing can make them stumble. If we are immersed in the word of God, we have a much better chance of walking through this life with the peace of God that passes all understanding. It's not automatic, but we can have it. 
A great question for all of us is this. Why not take advantage of what God has provided for us? Why not take advantage of it? That's the question. It's available. Now, I want to just cover something here with you. No one can walk this thing out perfect. I don't care how mature you think you are as a Christian. No one walks this thing out perfect. If you have the right stressor at the wrong time, any one of us can crumble. Any of us can change. So the question is this. What do I do when I slip back into worry and anxiety? What do I do when that happens, when I go into the churning zone? We learned last week at least three truths that were able to help us. Number one is this. Jesus Christ is our king, and he is faithful. He knows right where you are. He knows what you're going through. You have not been left alone. When you get into the stinking thinking, go back into fear and that sort of thing, remember, he is on the throne and he is faithful. Jesus will hear me and he will help me. And I tell you, this is good news. And it's time to say, amen. Thank you. Good. Secondly, know this and know that you know that you know that Jesus cares for you. He loves you implicitly and he cares for you. How do we know that he cares for us? Well, he died for me. He washed me from my sins. Jesus cares. We have the unearned favor and grace of God. That We have the favor and grace of God. The grace of God is just is amazing. This is an amazing privilege. Jesus cares for me. When you get into stinking thinking and wonder what in the world is going on, and I've been abandoned, remember, God knows where you are, and he cares for you. He's our king, and he's faithful, and he cares for you. And thirdly, knowing that Jesus is coming for me at some point. This is all transient. This is all passing. This little thing called our little time here, this little blip of time called our life is passing. I don't care if you live to be 100 years old. In eternity, it is a blip of time, won't even be remembered. Okay, we know that in Isaiah. So, Jesus is coming. This is all transient. and he will never, ever forsake me. This is temporal. And we learn that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, meaning he's all-powerful, almighty God. He will accomplish what is written in this book, and he will be in my life accomplishing what he wants to accomplish in my life. He is with me from the minute I receive him as my Savior until I take my last breath, and for the rest of my eternity, my God is with me. We can take solace in that. So it's an incredible honor that we have to serve our king for eternity. And listen to this. It kind of makes the problems of this world seem pretty small and insignificant. When you really weigh them in eternity, when you really weigh them in who is for us, our God, our problems, no matter how big they are, they're big here, but in, in view of everything else, they're minuscule, insignificant. Now this week, John will describe this all-powerful, glorified Jesus and the things that he will accomplish in this book. We're going to talk about John's vision of the glorified Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've brought Bible students here to study your word. Oh, Father, help us to hear from you today things that you want to teach us. We need to know these things to be prepared for what is coming. So, Holy Spirit, open our eyes, our hearts, our minds. Keep us attentive for just a few minutes. 
to learn what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want you to think about this. John has seen this vision of the glorified Jesus, and it's pretty spectacular. John knew Jesus very, very well. He was intimately acquainted with Jesus. He was part of the inner circle of Peter, James, and John. These guys saw at least three things that the rest of the group didn't see. So he was very close to Jesus. He was in the room when Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead. That's a big deal in Mark chapter 5, verse 37 to 42. John was also with the other, th other two on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus kind of tore himself open and his glory just kind of shone through. John was there. He was also with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was praying, if there's any way possible, let this cup pass from me, Father. But not my will, but your will be done. And John wrote in the book of John, it's interesting that he wrote this about himself. He was the disciple that Jesus loved five times. This is the disciple that Jesus loved. He loves me more than Peter and he all those guys. He, he just loves me. He was close to him. He was so close that John was given the honor of caring for Jesus' mother. On the cross, Jesus says, Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. And John cared for her and for the rest of his life, and probably hers. John knew Jesus very well. But when he sees a vision of the glorified Jesus, he is absolutely blown away. There's no mistake about this. He sees Jesus in the God state, and he goes, whoa, this is not the Jesus I knew. There's no over-familiarity that John had. Now remember, Jesus was looking forward to going back to his glorified state. He had done his tour on earth. He had been rejected by the masses. He was rejected by Israel. There was only a few that followed him. And he was looking forward to going back to his glorified state. John 17 is the, really the Lord's Prayer. And he says there in John 17, 1, Oh, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that he may glorify you. 17, 4, he says this, I have glorified you on the earth. And he says, I have finished your work. You know how we glorify God while we're here? We finish the work that God has given each one of us to do. We all have a mission. It's all different. We're not here to compare ourselves with somebody else. We are here to do what Jesus has given us to do. That is we are to do. In John 17, 5, he says this, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Back to his eternal state, the glorified Jesus, the majestic Jesus, the exalted Jesus. This is the state of Jesus Christ now, by the way. He's glorified. He's on the right hand of the throne of God, making intercession for us. Jesus Christ wanted both John and you to know who it was giving the message to the churches. This person is all-powerful, all-knowing, everlasting God. That is who Jesus Christ is. And he will accomplish what is written in this book. And again, we're going to see some strange things written in this book. And he will accomplish this. Now, if you've been with us through the study of Daniel, you know that there's going to be a false prophet that's going to be coming. He will extol the Antichrist. And we know Satan, this unholy trinity, is the nemesis of the Christian and of Christ and, and is at war there. But remember, there's no false prophet, no Antichrist, no Satan, no rebellious humanity that will thwart God's plan. It will come to fruition. 
When Jesus cried out, a sixth cry from the cross was this, it is finished, to telestai, it is finished. And when he said that, that, that was a huge thing. The price for humanity was paid. His death paid for the price of each one of us. He died for our sins. He also did this. He defeated the actions or the works of Satan on the cross. It's Christus Victus is, 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 what, is what it's termed. So he redeemed us. He paid the price for us. But, oh, he also defeated Satan on the cross and all of his minions. Jesus, we said it was finished. He is taking back planet Earth. There will be a day when the King of Kings reigns forever and ever and ever. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and His Christ, and He shall reign forever. So, God wants us to know some things. One of the things He wants us to know is in verse 9, we have a companion in tribulation. A companion in tribulation. Verse 9, I, John, both your brother and companion in tribulation. I know what you're going through. And kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. John identifies himself as a brother. I'm part of your group. I'm not the exalted. He didn't exalt himself as the apostle. He wasn't the one that, that Jesus loved five times. And I'm your brother. I am in this dress with you. I'm just like you. He's a companion in the tribulation. I don't know if you remember what they, that early church was going through, but Nero was slaughtering people by the hundreds and thousands. Domitian, at the time of John, wanted to get rid of John and exiled him to an island called Patmos. More on that in just a few seconds. Each person, folks, has different pressures and different crushings in life. John had his, we have ours. Folks, this is the human condition. This is something that is, you can expect this. This is part of being a human on earth. No one is exempt. No one gets a free pass. And remember this, it's all a result of sin. You wonder why bad stuff happens here? It's all a result of sin. All the crud of life is from sin. Now, if you look at people's lives, we try to escape this as much as we can. There will be people running from their lives running here, running there, running all over to escape any of the pressures that, that life brings to them. You cannot escape your pressures, folks. Don't run, take a stand. Don't hide, take a stand. Like the bull in the blizzard, like a picture last couple of weeks. Stand, stand firm. Don't be moved. Now, claiming something is not so won't help. Yes, I'm not here. It's not happening to me. It's what humans do very often. Cover their eyes. Folks, that's not going to help you. We're to stand fast, stand firm in the faith, not be moved by what is going on around us. It's good to know this, and I think it's good for each one of us to know, that we're holding up under the load that we have. We're holding up under the load. How do we hold up? What is the best way for us to hold up under this load that we have called this life? And I'll tell you, Jesus makes it very clear in Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 30. What does he say? Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. To Jesus' personality there. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy 
and my burden is light. Why is it light? He helps us carry the load. He helps us carry the load. We stay yoked to Jesus, move in his direction. He helps us carry the load. We all have a load to carry. We all have a load. John is telling us the tribulation is crushing. It's squeezing life out of us. And it's common to all mankind. We are to stand fast, keep an eternal perspective. When you get really down, when it wait, it starts to really starts to hold you down, keep an eternal perspective. This is all temporary. We're passing through. The peace stealers and the tumult creators, they will come. When I was in the service, I was with a Navy corpsman. He was a philosopher. His name was Ed Brown, Doc Brown. And he said this, someplace in the middle of Southeast Asia where we were, sweltering heat, mosquitoes and flies buzzing around us. We were so miserable. And we can actually hear, we hear artillery in, in the distance, so it's going boom, boom, and all that stuff. And Ed said this. He says, Rick, one of these days, this will all be over, and we'll all be home. The philosopher Ed Brown was right. One of these days, folks, this will all be over, and we will all be home, and everything will be right. Amen. Amen. You got that right. John is on the island of Patmos for the word of God. Notice there's a little bitty island. There's the seven churches that are in Turkey. And Domitian thought that he was going to isolate John, that John wasn't going to have any more impact, get that dude out of the way. And on the island of Patmos, not a very nice place. It's a rugged terrain. And this is where John was, by himself, probably with other prisoners, on, on the island of Patmos. And it was here that God gave him a vision of the glorified Jesus. It is here that God gave him the things to write in the book, to share with all the humans in the epochs of time that is coming on. Listen to this. Domitian wanted John silenced. Our world wants you as Christians silenced. In your corner, out of the way, and if, if possible, I would, I would venture to say they would be sending us to a place like Patmos. This is, folks, this is our time to shine. This is not our time to withdraw. This is not our time to suck our thumbs and, and go into a corner. This is our time to shine for our Lord, to bring glory and honor to our Father in Jesus Christ. Matthew 5.16 says this, Let your light so shine before men so that they will see, see your good deeds and then glorify your Father which is in heaven. We have a mission. We have a mission. That is to glorify our Father. Not to be stuck in a corner. Patmos was not the Aegean Sea vacation spot. Now, if you take pictures of it today, there is vacation there. There's, there's stuff that they have there. But at John's time, it wasn't. It was rocky terrain, 10 miles long, 6 miles wide. It was bleak. He was shut off from his friends. He was there to be shut up. And God would not shut him up. He allowed him to speak something that was pertinent to the ages to come. In the darkest hours of human need, listen to this, God is always there. God will meet us if we will only cast ourselves upon him. That is what we are to do. Instead of running from him and going, why God? Why is this? No, we run to him and say, God, help me. God, help me. Folks, it was in exile that Moses saw God at the burning bush. It was in exile that Elijah heard the still, small voice of God in 1 Kings 19.3. It was in exile that that Ezekiel saw the glorified God in heaven. 
And it was an exile that we saw in our study of Daniel, that Daniel saw a picture of the Ancient of Days who looked remarkably like our picture of Jesus today. Folks, God is our companion in tribulation. In the crud of life, God is our companion. And please never, ever, ever, ever feel like God has abandoned you. In Isaiah chapter 43, we've been through this verse many times, but I think it's so pertinent. Isaiah is speaking to the nation of Israel. But I think that God is also speaking to us today through the prophet. He says this in Isaiah 43, 1, But now, thus says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not. Fear not. That's, just the, that's the echo of God to his people constantly. Fear not, for I have redeemed you and called you by your, by your name, and you are mine. He says that to his people, the nation of Israel, and he says that to you today, his church. You are mine. You are precious. You are precious to me. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. These are the tumults of life. When you pass through the rivers, it's starting to wrench up. They shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, oh, you will not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. Why? For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Your God is with you wherever you go through any tumult. Ask yourself this question. Is Jesus enough in any situation? And I hopefully you can say, yes, he is. He's proved himself to be faithful. Remember, though life may not be going well for you, every human has this. It comes into every person's life, something. Our God is with us, and he said he'll never leave us nor forsake us. Hebrews 13.5 says, I will never leave you, never will I forsake you. And that actually, remember that never, we've mentioned this many times, is actually five times in the Greek. I will never, 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 never leave you nor forsake you. That's for emphasis. So we know our God is with us. God is our companion in tribulation. Never forget this and never, ever think that you're alone. Never believe you're alone. Verse 10 and 11, John's marching orders from the exalted Jesus Christ. They're going to be very specific. John 10 and 11, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches. That's what John's commission was, which are in Asia, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, the Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Write what I tell you, put it in the book, let it go to these churches, and from the churches it goes out to the world to us today. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Now what he's saying here, this is, this is a vision that John has. This isn't, this isn't John actually being in heaven bodily. This is a vision that John has. He actually has four of these, these things that are written in the book of Revelation. So he's in the spirit, not his body. He was transported to heaven. John was in the spirit, and he receives his marching orders from God, from Jesus. Now, John's marching orders were this. What you see, write. You don't have to freelance on this. You don't write what you think about this and go, oh, this seems a little crazy, writing it to the churches. No, he writes what he's supposed to write, and that's it. No freelancing. Send it to the churches. Simply write it and send. Now, he has this vision. 
Now, today, we have many people looking for dreams and visions. You ever hear, hear, get into contact with folks like that? Give me a dream. Give me a vision. I believe that God does work in that venue from time to time. But listen to this. A vision has a purpose. A vision is not entertainment. This was not entertainment for John. Okay? It's not entertainment for the person. A vision always, always, always involves mission. It involves a mission. Everybody wants a dream and a vision from God, yet few want a mission from God. Every time someone was given a vision, they had something that they were to do with that information. Look at when the prophets got the visions, they went and spoke to the king, and sometimes they were thrown in pits like Jeremiah. Sometimes they ran for their lives like Elijah. Sometimes it was not good stuff, but we want visions and dreams today to tell us what to do. It's all great and exciting. It always involves a mission. Look, God may want you to do something that you do not want to do. You know, go into the mission field. You know, change jobs. Go to a different job. He is orchestrating this thing. He is the one that tells us what to do. Our marching orders are clear, folks. We all have an assignment. Finish your assignment. At the age of 90, hear this, at the age of 90, God is still using his servant John. Folks, this is important. This is important. We have value and purpose as long as God has us here. And let me say this. Never, ever, ever think life is going to change. Your physical condition is going to change. Your living conditions are going to change. Life is dynamic. It is not static. As much as we try to keep it static and calm, and every, it is dynamic. You don't know what's coming. Life will change. But remember this. God has a purpose for you no matter what time it is. You are valuable. Valuable in God's eyes. Carry out your marching orders. Carry out your marching orders. We all have them. Verse 12 through 16, the description of what John saw, the glorified Jesus. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. It must have been a stunning voice. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, which we know are the churches, in verse 20. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet, girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white as wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. This is an amazing vision that he has. His feet were like fine brass as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. In his countenance, what he looked like was like the sun shining in its strength, resplendent light. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. This is what John sees the description of the glorified Jesus. Make no mistake, this is a mind-blowing experience for John. I fell at his feet as dead. John saw in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, Jesus standing in the midst. Hear this. The lampstands are the church in verse 20. You'll see that it's the churches. Jesus is in the midst of his church. Look, at we have a corporate body here. Jesus is in the midst of us. But we are the church that extends out into the world. 
Jesus is in the midst of my life. Wherever I go, he is with me. He is in the midst of his people. He's in the midst of his church. He is with us. The lampstands give off light, folks. Jesus is the light of the world. John 8, 12, Jesus, one of the I am statements. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The church, the church, by the way, is called the light. You are the light of the world in Matthew 5, 14. Folks, we are to take this light into a dark world. Jesus knows where you are, wherever you go. We take Jesus with us. He is in our midst. You are light. Let it shine out into the world. When John saw was amazing. No words could describe what he saw. So he uses words like, as, like, as, that sort of thing. Verse 13, like the Son of Man. 81 times we see the Son of Man in Scripture as a description for Jesus Christ. Clothed with a garment down to his feet. These are priestly garments. These are king's garments. That a king of kings is going to come and, and rule at the end of this age. Remember, there's three offices that Jesus occupied. Prophet, priest, and king. He came first as a prophet with the words of Father to humanity. He's right now. His position now is as a priest sitting at the right hand of God the Father, making intercession for us. That's a big deal. He is interceding for us. And he will come as his third position as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in Revelation 19.16. And this Jesus now looks like, what's this? A head and hair were white like wool. Folks, this is blazing holiness. The holiness of God. In Daniel 7.9, the Ancient of Days looks remarkably like this. God the Father looks remarkably like this. His hair was white like wool. Now just pause for just a second here. We have something here. This white hair speaks of age, speaks of maturity, it speaks of wisdom and that sort of thing. Today, what do we do with white hair? We color it. We color it, don't we? The glory of young men is their strength, and the beauty of old men is the gray head. That's what it says. His eyes were like a flame of fire. Jesus has a penetrating gaze. He misses nothing, by the way. Jesus misses nothing. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before him. His feet were fine like brass. This is a picture of judgment. Judgment will come. We'll all stand before God. We at the Bema Seat judgment will be judged for our works after salvation to receive rewards or loss of rewards. The lost will be judged at the great white throne judgment for their sins because they were never taken by Jesus on the cross. They didn't receive the gift that Jesus had offered them. They rejected it. All of us will be judged. This is unstoppable. Folks, the serpent's head will be crushed. He has been judged. His voice like many waters. Now, look, I don't know if you've been to Niagara Falls or in Africa, Victoria Falls, but there is estimated 12 million cubic feet of water roaring over these waterfalls, and it is loud. It is loud. A mighty waterfall pours forth thunderous sound. This is the voice of authority. John heard that voice, and he turned, and he looked. When we hear that voice, we will turn, and we will look. And when we see him, what are we going to do? Belly smacker. Bellies on our, on our bellies, just like John did. His countenance was like the sun. Saul saw this. He was blinded by it on the road to Damascus. But think about this. On earth, 
Jesus' glory was veiled. He was approachable to sinners, to children, to prostitutes, to religious leaders, to lepers, to rulers. But the risen Savior, the glorified Jesus, is in unapproachable light. Abject holiness. That is what we will see one day. And only one language that John could use to describe this incredible sight was, was just the glorified Jesus. Was just, he must have just been amazing. Amazing. Oh, God, this is too amazing for me to see. John's old friend, Jesus, was sure different. He was sure different. Remember Psalm 50, 21? When all, you thought I was altogether like you. Well, God is not altogether like us. He is God and we are humans. In our present flesh and blood state, we cannot stand before God. We are too impure. Too impure. But in our glorified state, because of what Jesus did for us, we will see him face to face. How do I know that? How do I know that? How will I know that we will see God? Because in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, when we see him, we shall be like him because we will see him as he is. That's how we will see our Jesus. We will spend eternity. Listen, think about this. God, the creator, Jesus created everything. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were involved in the creation, all three parts of the Godhead. Think about this. We will spend eternity with God and never plumb the depths of God. Never plumb the depths. We will never have one second in eternity where we're saying, this is boring. This is, what do I have to do now? Oh, gosh, this is so boring. Dad, what are we going to do? I hate this vacation. It is boring. You're never going to hear that in eternity. Now, it makes you wonder why anyone would choose, anybody in this world would choose to serve the false gods, the little bitty false gods that people make up compared with the Most High God. Most High God is El Elyon. El is God, Elyon, Most High God. Most High God. We worship, folks, God Most High, El Elyon, except no other false god substitute. I don't care how much the culture tries to ram false gods down your throat and tell us coexist. Remember, syncretism. We had that word in the past. Syncretism, where all these religions are, are the same. All these religions, no, they're not. No, they're not. We worship the God Most High, and think about this. There is no rock like our God. And he had in his hand, he had the seven stars, which were the angels. Now, there's a big controversy when we get to the end of this in verse 20. We'll talk about who these, are these angels ministers, pastors, are they congregations, or are they angels? Well, we'll try to figure that out in just a minute. Out of his mouth went a two-edged sword in verse 16, which we know to be the word of God. Remember, it penetrates the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. The word of God judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. All things are laid bare before the eyes of him whom we must give an account. Nothing is hidden from the word of God. He uses the word in Revelation 19.15 to defeat the Antichrist. He just speaks a word, and it's done. Our Jesus is God Most High. He is El Elyon. People today have an over-familiarity with Jesus. Tell me if you don't think this is true. 
How many times have you seen people saying, I saw Jesus in the clouds? Take a picture quick, and I did Jesus in the clouds. And try to get it on the internet. Or I saw him in the potato chip, or I saw him in the mirror. And what does he look like? He looks like the Jesus that we've made up in our minds, like the picture of Jesus that you see on your walls. This Jesus is totally different here that John is seeing. Ezekiel saw a totally different God when he saw God. So I think what we need to do is take down our paintings of Jesus that we have on the wall, that European Jesus with blue eyes and brown hair. Just take it down. That isn't the real Jesus. Okay? Worship the Most High God, accept no other false God substitute. Folks, there is no rock. There is no God like our God. Verse 17 and 18, we see the reassurance that Jesus gives. Isn't it amazing? Only Jesus can reassure his people, his children like this. I fell at his feet, though dead, and he laid his right hand on me. This is gentle. This is gentle. This isn't to go, boom, hey, John, wait, no, this is gentle. (laughs) Saying to me, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, John. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. I have them, John. Look at John has absolutely no arrogance in this vision. What do people do today when they get a vision? They write a book. They go on tour. They went to heaven. They saw it's, you know, make money. You don't see this with John. I fell at his feet, though dead. The gentleness of Jesus, the assurance of Jesus to his beloved disciple is he laid his right hand. Don't be afraid. How often does God tell us that? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's me, John. It's me. I'm the same. I'm, I'm, that's the guy. I was, I was with you there. Folks, listen to this. John fell on his face, but remember this. Every, every believer, every unbeliever, every angel, Every fallen angel will one day bow before our God. Either it's going to be volitional or it will be forced. Philippians 2.10, all will bow before Jesus Christ. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. One day we will stand before God. And when we do, there will be no arrogance. Satan won't have any arrogance. The Antichrist will have no arrogance. Every despotic ruler that's ever lived, they'll have no arrogance. We will have no arrogance. There'll be nobody puffed up. Nobody saying, I'm the master of my fate. I'm the captain of my soul. Man, on that day, which we will experience, thankfully we're on the save side of this, we'll, everyone will know who Jesus Christ really is. It's a, it, for the Christian, it's a, it's a whole different experience than for the lost. Thankfully, we're on the, on the right side. Jesus is always gentle with his sheep. I see the Bema Seat judgment not as something where Jesus is going to be clumping us over the head with a hammer, but he's going to be gentle because he's always gentle with his sheep. He's always gentle with his bride. The loss that we feel is just the, the grief of, Oh, Jesus, I wish I would have done more. Oh, Jesus, I wish I would have made these decisions differently. Oh, Jesus, I'm so sorry. And Jesus, I think, is so gentle. Just put your hands on you. Just say, I love you. I love you. In the midst of that that uncomfortable time, Jesus reassures us by touching us and speaking to us. 
When Jesus says, fear not, folks, we need not fear. He's in control. He says this, I am he who lives. He's a living Savior. He conquered death. I have the keys of Hades and of death. Jesus conquered death for us. He rose from the dead. And by the way, he is sovereign over death. You will die on time. Don't be afraid of flying. You will die on time. It's already been, been written down. All the days for me, ordained for me, were written before one of them came to be. He says, it's me, John. I am he who lives and was dead, and I'm alive forevermore. It's like I have conquered death, John. I have conquered death. No one dies from the sovereign God's approval. Satan brought sin and death into the world, but Jesus defeated Satan on the cross. And with the resurrection, death has been conquered. Believers never really die, folks. They are never separated from God for a nanosecond. This is a wonderful hope. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.8. This is a reassurance to his people. In verse 19, Jesus repeats his marching orders to John. Remember, this was the outline of the book. This is the outline of the book, verse 19. Write the things which you have seen. That's chapter 1. Write the things which are. That's chapters 2 and 3, talking about the churches at the time of John. And the things which will take place. That's the future. That's 4 through 22. That's what he's writing here. And in verse 20, he says, the seven stars and the seven lampstands. He's going to explain what these are. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, colon. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. The symbolism in Revelation can be found in other places of Scripture, very frequently in the book of Revelation itself. The great lampstand, the menorah, are the light-bearing churches in verse 20. The stars represent the angels of the churches. Now, who are the angels? There's multiple guesses on this. I think that they're angels, but let's just see. Some people say they're the pastors of these churches because angels are ministering spirits. So they could be ministers or pastors of these churches. This could be referring to individual congregations, some people believe. And some people believe that there's angels or guardian angels that are responsible for each local, each church body. Now, one guy wrote this. Some say pastors. If it is so, it is one of the rare times the term is used to describe a human messenger. The word angel appears 188 times in the New Testament and is used only six times to mean a human messenger. If the Lord meant a pastor or elder, I wonder why he didn't use that term. And I'm thinking, hmm, yeah. The term is used 67 other times in Revelation. It always means a heavenly being. If we take the message literally, it would appear that the churches have their own guardian angel. Now, you don't have to die for this one, okay? But it's controversial, but it seems to be that there's angels there. So, just in closing, John's vision of the glorified Christ. The main thing that you want to remember out of this talk is this. In seeing the glorified Jesus, 
we are assured that our Lord has the power to carry out what is written in the following chapters of Revelation. These things will happen. This is a fait complete. These things will happen. Nothing can stop this from occurring. The glorified, risen Jesus will assure this. Think about this. The entire book will reveal God's plan to redeem his chosen people and defeat Satan. That's a big thing. Who opposes God's plan. Jesus will establish his kingdom. This is not going to go on like this forever. People are not going to be able to thumb their nose at God forever. There will be a day when he says, no more. And he will come, and he will reign, and he will rule. The first chapter emphasizes the glory of Christ. And it's the theme of the entire book, is the glory of God, the glory of the Lord Jesus. Also, there's a climax coming, the second coming of Christ. Jesus will return in power. It, many people today deny this. This is, this is very common today. Where is the hope of his coming? You guys are always talking about him coming. When is he going to come? He will come on schedule and on time. Many people don't want Jesus to come. I just don't want you to come. Many people are deceived. And look, at there's a spirit of the age that we live in. It's called the zeitgeist, the spirit of the age that we live in. We must realize this spirit and not be deceived by this spirit. And then there's a few. There's a very few called the remnant, the remnant church, the remnant believers who will study prophecy, who will read this book and say, this is true. This is true. This resonates with me, every fiber of my being. They believe the Bible and know these things are true and expectantly wait for him to return. Remember this, our culture today is being inundated, overwhelmed with false gods, false worldviews, and indoctrination of the culture is in full swing. There are spiritual forces behind these changes in our cultures. Folks, there's powers and principalities. Remember the prince of Persia in Daniel. Remember the prince of Greece in Daniel. These are entities that are spiritual forces, demonic forces, that are fighting against God's plan. They are fighting against us. Spiritual warfare is real. Do not be mesmerized or beguiled by the false. Stick with the true. Remember, we worship God Most High, El Elyon, except no other false God substitute. I don't care how close they try to get to God in mimicking him, except no false substitute. And remember, there is no rock there is no God like our God. It's the church's responsibility to tell the world about the true God. And folks, we have a mission. Carry out your mission. Carry out your mission. In the coming weeks, we'll study the spiritual problems of the church. That's in chapters 2 and 3. We're going to look at each church. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. We're going to study those churches. And what each of them had in common, what each of, the, each of them had to be praised for and what each of them was criticized for. Some of them aren't criticized, but next week, the seven churches, and we'll start with the church of Ephesus. Stay tuned, because I think it's going to get exciting. Stay tuned. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to study your word, and thank you for your spirit that opens up our minds and opens up our hearts to your word. Thank you that you've allowed us to peek into the future. You've not left us here blinded, but we can have an idea of what is coming. We know that Jesus will return, 
and everything will be okay. Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.